KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The opioid crisis hasn't gotten headlines like it had prior to the COVID 19 pandemic, but not only has it not receded, it's actually gotten worse. We wanted to talk about it. What do these drugs do to people? Why is it so hard to come out on the other side? And are we at least starting to ask the right questions to help people? Our guest is clinical psychologist Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. Give a listen. So to start, with so much attention, and obviously understandably so, on COVID and COVID vaccines and and trying to curb the pandemic, uh, we've kind of lost the thread on the opioid epidemic, and frankly, that hasn't gotten any better, and if anything, it's gotten worse. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Have we done anything... Have we made any progress, I guess, kind of in overarching in starting to address it? Yes, I think that people have been more actively involved in organizations. There's been a lot of efforts to reduce the amount of prescriptions that are given to flag repeated you know, prescription fillers. Everything's kind of integrated into one system now, so it's easier to, you know, figure out who may be abusing or who's selling. They've implemented things in doctor's offices where sometimes you have to take a urine test. And so there's there's a lot of these steps that are in place or, you know, your insurance company may send you a letter that says there's these medications that you can try instead of an opioid. So there are precautions in place, there's steps in place in the medical community for sure, but it's still very much is, is very active. And particularly with the last year and a half with what's going on and people losing jobs, people having increased rates of depression and anxiety and substance use in general, which just kind of spirals into other types of substance use, chronic pain gets worse. And so all of these things together just kind of make it not only just an increase, but I think a lot of the steps they have in place may not be sufficient for the amount of addiction that, that kind of there is in the communities. Are we still dealing when we talk about opioid overdoses, are we still talking for the most part about prescription medicine or is it now fentanyl heroin that's We've gotten a handle. I mean, it was kind of ground zero for this disaster. I don't want to act like it's it's better, but. Yeah, I think that's still the starting point. I mean, that's kind of where it begins and kind of escalates into fentanyl and escalates into heroin. Um, But it's definitely way easier to get now. I mean, it's it's so accessible. It's not hard. People want to use it. They will find it. They can get it. Um, So I, I still think that that is something yeah i mean just from speaking to my patients and speaking to colleagues i mean those are things that are still very readily available period what makes opioids be it prescription drugs be it fentanyl what makes them so dangerous like i think we kind of hear about it in the abstract but why are they so addictive why do they have this hold over people sure so I think there's two there's two categories for this. There's the prescription ones and then the, the, the ones that you buy on the street that you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what's mixed in them. You don't know the dose, um, you know, especially with fentanyl. You don't you, you really just don't know what you're getting when you're buying this on the street. So there's that aspect of it, of 
you could think, you know, what dose you're taking amount, you're taking an overdose because it's not what they told you, or there's other stuff mixed in with it. And then as far as the chemical makeup of why it's addictive, it increases certain feel good chemicals in your brain. It makes you feel people describe it. It makes you feel happy. It makes you feel like, you know, you can, you can handle things better in life. And so in a time of crisis and a time when, you know, things around us are very unstable, a lot of times people turn to alcohol and drugs. And so if they're, if they've access to something that's going to make them feel good, you know, that's what happens. The addictive piece of it is when you stop taking that medication because of the chemicals in your brain. And, you know, I'm just being very kind of general here, but because of the chemicals in your brain and because of the, the changes in your actual neurochemistry that occur from using opioids, from using these kind of medications or these kind of drugs, it makes your body go into withdrawal phases whereby it actually needs the medication to, to make you not sick. And that's where the addiction piece comes into from a physical standpoint is that the pain and the nausea and the discomfort and the just horrible feeling that you feel when you don't have access to it anymore, the withdrawal symptoms, you need that level of medication just to be able to function now at this point. So it's no longer getting you high. Now you just need it to be able to literally get out of bed and function. And the problem with it is you need more and more and more of the same type of medication to get that same level of effectiveness because your body, in a sense, your pain receptors, everything just kind of habituates to it or gets used to it. So it requires more and more and more. And that's where the overdoses tend to come into. And when it comes to trying to get clean, I've seen and heard it, it just, it takes a really long time for your body yeah. to try to, I don't know if re-regulate is a yep. proper term, but kind exactly. of get back to your original baseline. And that's part of the problem. It's not something like 30 days. If you can get through no. 30 days, you're good. We're talking right. months, if not years. Am I exaggerating? No, because it changes. It's not just psychological. Like you are, you know, I'm going to choose to use, or I'm not going to choose to use your, your body becomes addicted to it. Your brain is not able to think in the way, let's say that it used to prior to using, using the drugs, right? So it's not a matter of making a healthy choice in the moment. Your, your body is literally rewired. It's confused in a sense. It, it thinks that it requires that to function. So it's not just even mentally being okay, depression, anxiety, but it is exactly like you said, you have to re-regulate everything from your nervous system, your brain chemistry. You have to kind of level everything out and it's going to take a really long time and it becomes a disease literally because your body is physically craving it and it's affecting it and your organs aren't working properly. Your heart's not being properly. Every, your breathing is, is, is not regulated. Everything is off. So it's not as simple as just trying not to use. When it comes to trying to get clean, where do you start? You know, if it has this type of hold on you and not just, you mm -hmm. know, mentally, but physically, emotionally, mm -hmm. how do you start? Mm -hmm. I mean, oftentimes it'll start somebody overdosing. 
And, you know, if they're in the hospital and people come talk to them, they offer them help. And hopefully that could be a starting point for them. I think it's very, very difficult. I know it's very, very difficult for people to initiate help on their own. It's scary. They're scared of how sick they're going to feel. Um, they're scared of how they're going to function without this. And so they really don't reach out for, you know, they may reach out for support, but I think a lot of times the fear of what it's going to be like is really what stops them from doing it. And the truth of the matter is by the time they get to that point, their support system has probably melted away and they probably don't have that many people around them to say, listen, we're getting you help, whether you like it or not, because everybody around them at that point is also probably using two. So you don't really have that external support to help you be a little bit more objective because chances are you're so locked into this toxic, this toxic environment anyway, that it's hard to get out of it. So it, it really is something that's going to happen. If somebody gets really sick, somebody overdoses and somebody can kind of help you from the outside rather than, you know, inside out. We talked off the top about whether we're starting to get it and starting to move in the right direction. Do you think there is enough mainstream appreciation of what these prescription drugs and fentanyl, what they do to you. And we talk about like altering brain chemistry, you know, do you think people understand what we are up against? And it's not just like I said earlier, Oh, go to a rehab facility for 30 days and keep off it and, and you'll be fine. I mean, this is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Yes. Um, I think that people know that it's difficult. And I think that people are aware that it leads to death. It leads to over, you know, and I I think that people are aware that it, it, it can ruin your relationships, but I don't think people are, unless you're in the medical community, right. Or in maybe in the mental health field in that helping professions, but I don't think people realize the physiological changes that occur that make it so difficult to stop using. Um, I don't think people understand understand that well what actually is happening in your brain, which ha- what's happening in your body. Um, I think they see more of the you know social emotional aspect of addiction. One of the things that seems to me that's most insidious about this is how there doesn't need to be a why, like you break your arm yes. and it starts with just a couple like. You know, a lot of addiction is rooted in there's a something that leads to it. Depression, you know, family trauma, Trauma. something. Mm -hmm. But what's Mm -hmm. really insidious about this is, you know, and we talked about the advances we've made with doctors and medical professionals saying no. But, you know, you get here, take these for three days and and then, you you know, you should be fine. And you're not doing anything wrong. You you're trying to live your life and it grabs hold of you that to me, it's just a whole other level of awfulness. It is. And that's, that's the scary part because it's not that, you know, when we think of addiction, we think of people using it as a vice to kind of avoid internal discomfort or avoid feeling emotional pain. But this type of addiction is different because it's, it's not started because you're in emotional pain. So you're trying to take something to avoid it, to minimize it. You're in pain. You're given pain meds. You do what your doctor tells you to do. You take them. And when it takes hold of you, it's that physiological piece that, you know, that your body's response to it, your brain's response to it, that takes hold of you. And I don't think people understand the difference 
that really like the nuances of those of those differences. It it's it hooks you in in a I don't want to say in a in a in a proper way, but it kind of hooks you in 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 a non harmful route almost, and you know almost not even your choice. You're not aware of it, and then before you know it, your body's craving it, and before you know it, you know then then you're addicted, and then after that when you can't get any more prescriptions, that's when people start to buy it on the street. And then you start, you're not going to work. So then you lose your job and then you're, you know, and and so it cycles into a prescription that's given, let's say for real pain, become addicted, let's say, unfortunately. And then it starts to translate into what people think of as addiction, right? Like, you know, stealing or, um, losing your job, losing your house, losing your friends, things like that. But it doesn't start like that. And I think that's what people don't get. That being said, though, when you talked about, you know, the last year and a half, you know, trying to live through a, a pandemic where not just is it awfulness on the surface with mm-hmm. the virus, but we've kind of had the Band-Aid ripped off American society and we've seen yes. inequities. We've seen uh, racism on display. We've seen it encouraged at the highest levels. Uh, it's a lot to deal with. So you kind of mix that in with the insidiousness of these, of these drugs. And my goodness, it's, it's almost amazing. It's not an even bigger problem. I have a feeling that in the next six months to a year, we're going to see a massive increase in a lot of mental health issues. I think that when people get uh, reacclimated to society, reacclimated to their jobs and school and things like that, and everybody's kind of back into it instead of this one foot in, one foot out. Um, I think when people start to get settled and they're not distracted by things, I think you're going to see a huge jump in depression, anxiety, suicidality, and substance abuse. I'm curious, just kind of on a with people, clients you see, patients you see. How many, how often does opioid addiction come up, if not directly, tangentially? A lot of times it comes up because it's the spouse or the boyfriend or the girlfriend of the person that I'm seeing, that it's been an issue in their relationship. It's causing problems. It's leading to other things. It's leading to lying, to stealing, gambling, things like that. So it comes up quite a bit, um, but it I see it more as the kind of the consequences and how it impacts the relationship. You know, it's, it's like, it's like a virus. It spreads. It's not just limited to addicted to a certain medication. It has tentacles and it goes, you know, into relationships, into your work. And so I see by the time they get to me, I usually see it where it's impaired their relationship, their functioning, you know, of their, of their spouse or of their own job. And to that point, I think that's another thing that we don't appreciate is we tend to look at these things, specifically addiction as a you problem. It's a, the person, you know, and try to get them help or, you know, but, or quote unquote, blame them. But it's that with these things, you mentioned your job, your kids, your family, your friends. I mean, it, it disrupts everything and, you know, it might be on a, micro level, a macro level, but the ripple effects are huge. Huge. It's systemic and it's a systemic illness. And, you know, one of the things that often happens is when you have somebody who has an addiction, 
there's going to be enablers around them in order for the, you know, them to maintain that behavior. And so when I have somebody in my office and I'm working with them on setting boundaries, let's say towards someone who has an addictive, you know, an addictive disorder, or I'm having them work on their enabling behaviors to not kind of increase the behavior of whoever it is that we're talking about. When that dynamic shifts, it throws off the entire system. So if one person is setting a boundary, it may cause somebody else in the system to feel guilty. So they let down their boundaries and, and, you know, it may cause people to be uncomfortable and everybody's role starts to shift. And so when you're dealing with addiction, it doesn't just affect the one person. It affects the role of the roles of everybody in your immediate circle. and, And as you said, kind of the ripple effect, because when one person changes their behavior, the whole dynamic gets kind of thrown off balance and people will really try to get everyone back to that status quo, even though it was unhealthy, it was still familiar. And um, there's a lot of pushback. So you would be surprised how the people around the person with addiction very much contribute to that dynamic. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It's systemic. It's, it's, it's so much more than just that one person. We talked a little bit, you know, if people wanted to start to get help, what does that road look like? You know, I've, I've seen a lot, you know, methadone kind of mm-hmm. helps to at least level you off and you still need to take that. But, uh, it's a, it's a long road. What does it look like if you're trying to come, come out of this and you're, you're genuinely trying to do all the right things and take yeah, all the right yeah. steps. Yeah. I mean, it ends up, you know, once, once the, let's say for, you know, for, lack of a better word, once it's out of your system, right? Let's say once you're kind of regulated and you are now kind of re-entering your life, right? After all the consequences that have occurred as a result of your use, like you still have to face all of that. And so the, the roads of recovery, particularly with opioids, there is a lot of relapse setbacks. I mean, so, I mean, my, my easy answer would be, I don't think it would be beneficial to not be in some sort of therapy or some sort of, you know, narcotics, not something where you are being held accountable, um, at least from the psychosocial piece of things, because that's really what's going to keep you on track and propel you forward is the support that you have around the doctors that you have around you, the willingness to set boundaries by family members towards you, um, having kind of an action plan in place if you feel that you are starting to slip into something else, right? Have somebody that you can call, have someone that's going to be there for you. It's damn near impossible to go through a journey of recovery without having support. It it makes it so much more difficult. And so that really in my opinion, is is first and foremost what you need to make sure that you have connected, or else it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult road. To wrap up, you mentioned six months a year, the mental health crisis, and I agree with you that we will be facing or have to have a reckoning with. Are we in any way, shape, or form prepared for I, anything close to what we could be seeing? I don't think so. I know people maybe will disagree with me on this, but I I really don't think so for a couple of reasons. One you are going to be dealing with a collective trauma on such a large scale. 
and nothing we've ever experienced, right? And I think we've mentioned this before. The only thing I can think of, but it's not even comparable would be 9-11, but that's like, a, has a beginning, a middle and end. It's an isolated event. This is more of a complex PTSD where it's a culmination of these small experiences over time. It just keep re-traumatizing you over and over. The vaccine, do we get a booster? Do we not do this? Do we do that? I mean, it's this constant one in, one foot in, one foot out approach. Um, so it maintains our our alertness. It maintains our, um, you know, our amygdala, our switch is always on now because we're constantly on guard. So you have mental health workers that are burnout. You have frontline workers, ER docs, ER nurses. You have, I mean, police officers. Fire, there's so many people that have been pulled into it because of their jobs and they are burnt out. So you're going to see a lot of burnout. You're going to see a lot of substance abuse because of the burnout. You're going to see a lot of substance abuse because they can't handle what they were seeing. And then people who lost people, you know, for, for no reason, just, just no reason. And I just think that people are, um, no, I don't, it's a short answer. I don't think we are prepared for that. I, I, I don't think we have the staffing. I don't think we have the resources. I don't think we have access to the resources. I think it's going to be difficult. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.